Welcome to the Cowfish Show, an exploration in human evolution, raising consciousness, creating happiness, fulfillment, and love one soul at a time. I'm E.L. Brooks, a newly awakened soul on a mission to help people find their happiness and truth. And I'm Lindsay Kimura, a happiness explorer empowering humans in wisdom and understanding. The universe united us to share our passions. Welcome Welcome to to our our show. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Cowfish Show. I'm Lindsay, and this is Eric. And today we are going to discuss mortality and just what that means and what that's brought up for us. And Eric, I'll let you chime in and say whatever you wish to say. Yeah, so um, we talked about, we discussed uh, having this podcast around really kind of mortality and death because of the recent uh, death that you uh, experienced in your family with your dad. So I do, you know, again, send my condolences. And um, and obviously, you know that I lost my father. Um, so you and I had a, a talk about it. And then with the pandemic and everything, um, everyone around the world is kind of experiencing some sort of loss. And so we just thought that maybe this was, you know, a good topic to um to choose and talk about and discuss around, um, you know, this time and stuff like that. So um, for me, as I shared with you, you know, I lost my father early, early on. I was 20 years old and um, it just kind of knocked me over the head because, you know, if you remember being 20, like you just are invincible. Like, you know, I was doing dirt bike. I was riding motorcycles. I was just you know, defying death and then for it to, you know, happen overnight, really, because my dad had an aneurysm. Um, so he went into a coma. It was pretty much brain dead from from day one. Um, it was it, it just it was very shocking to me and, and, and just really kind of very traumatic, to be honest with you, you know. Um, so, you know, you yours uh, experience was much different, you know, later in life and stuff like that. And, um, but at the same time, it's, you know, you and I kind of bonded around like what to expect because it took me about a year and a half before I really even felt uh, normal again. And it really took my father coming to me from, from beyond um, that really kind of made me feel like, okay, everything's cool. Um, Maybe because he saw I was on this destructive path, (laughs) Um, but you know, uh, it it definitely affects everybody um, because you know my 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 theory is that most of us are so um, we identify with our ego, you know what I mean, and most of us are in our ego states. Um, especially I was in, when I was twenty, you couldn't tell me anything. Like nineteen, I was so cocky. Twenty, I was definitely still cocky, but. Um, <laughs> And so I think when you when you're in identifying with your false ego, um, the ego is vibrates in fear and just hates everything that can cause any kind of harm to it. And you know, death is one of those things that is like just reminds us that we are will be dust <laughs> someday. It's just it's inevitable. You know, we can't escape death. So, yes. Yeah, Eric, one thing you just said really triggered something for me where this whole time of the pandemic has been yeah. such a time of loss and death. Yeah. So it, it's people, but it's also the death of things that we were used to doing and the death of 
patterns and jobs and so much is being lost that we're in this huge grieving process. And I know you have so many methods for dealing with grief. Like I remember I sent you some scale that my friend had sent me. I think it was the Kubler-Ross grief scale and ways to handle the massive amounts of processing that needs to happen in a way that's healthy. And I'm wondering kind of what your, your methods or your advice is for anybody that is processing death and grief? Well, I kind of look at it in general. It's just a way that you approach life in general. Um, you know, for me, it's it's really understanding the universal laws. Uh, oh, this is the key cat. And then, you know, part of that is that um, life happens to us. I mean, life happens for us, not to us. And so it's just a kind of a per- perception and a mental shift. Um, and also um, knowing that, you know, when I had my shift into kind of spiritual love um, and that energy, like when you when you were touched, because uh, I had, you know, my, my spiritual uh, encounter, um, you know that there's something uh, greater than your physical and biological body. Um, and so when, when you kind of understand that, um, it just gives you, or at least it gives me a, a sort of different kind of peace. Um, and knowing that, that, uh, you know, we, we, we're living right now and just to make the best of, 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 of our life is kind of YOLO. You only live once. And to a certain extent, like, you know, we're present. It, it allows you to be, it allows me at least to be present. Um, and I think that death is the ultimate equalizer because it just reminds you no matter what, you have, no matter what you've accomplished or have not accomplished, um, the CEO gets buried next to the street, uh, the street sweeper, um, you know, to the janitor, like we all like, you know, we're all six foot under. Um, and, you know, you can't take anything with you. Um, and so for me, the best advice is really just changing your, you know, I, I look at death as kind of like almost like a, another wake up call. Right. And like you said, it's like, I look at death as the ultimate disturbance, right? We have loss in relationships. We have loss in separation. Um, and then death is like the ultimate separation. Um, but, I, and so I think it just reminds me specifically of, living life to the fullest and then being uh, a reminder of course correcting, like, am I on the right path? Am I living my purpose? Am I following my purpose? It's kind of like a wake up call because we can get so into our routines and, and, and have these habitual, um, you know, cycles that we almost realistically are sleepwalking. You know what I mean? They say that, that we operate 97% of our behaviors is through our unconscious mind body, um, which leaves about 5% of us just kind of really kind of being meta aware. So I think death is one of those things that kind of wakes you out of that trance. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Do you know what I mean? Um, rocks you to the core, which is meant to, if you, if you follow nature and you follow the universe, it's just, it's cycles. Like we, things always, nature always grows and dies and, and um repurposes and so that's what i kind of tell people yeah that's not what I told you, that perspective. <laughs> yes and 
as you were talking, I was thinking of how life is that force within us, that animation, that, you know, the pulsation, the chi, whatever you want to call it, is life force. And then there's a birth, which is the beginning or initiation of a certain form, like the human body, right? And then there's the death, which is the end of that form as we know it. And then, you know, even the physical body uh, breaks down, decomposes, goes back into the soil, and then new forms are made. So it's like that, like you said, this continual process. And I was thinking, like, from a spiritual perspective, I feel like I really understand the process of the soul journey and life and death and all of that, that knowledge. And then when I go to, with this perspective, I still find myself, for example, my cousin mailed a letter that was sent from my grandma to one of my aunts who was actually, um, who has passed away. And I started crying, like my eyes welled up with tears because I would like this memory of my grandma just merged out of me. And yeah. I was thinking, why is it that we feel sadness? Is it like an attachment to a memory of them that makes us feel that sense of uh, loss or sadness or emotion? And so it made me think about how something like an event such as death brings up a lot of emotions. And then I was thinking, well, like, what, where is that coming from? Is it that, that we miss them? And then what's, what underlies that missing? I think from a parent standpoint, there's especially like, you know, obviously, you know, I do a lot of trauma research. Um, We, you know, from a parent standpoint, there's this process that we don't process the emotions of our, um, separation anxiety or separation, the realism of separation as a child, um, we feel rejected. We feel that's why, you know, the global disease is this kind of spiritual malignancy where we don't feel good enough, uh, don't feel worthy. And it all starts with that process around four to 10 months where you have the, the realization of separation. And so I think when, when if you don't process that and you're not aware of that, because most of us aren't aware of that, um, then when you actually physically lose a parent, you have all of this unsettled, uh, unresolved um, issues that, you know, we, we typically have with our parents. Um, and so I think it's a reminder of separation and it triggers rejection. And then you start to go down this kind of, um, the brain does this kind of negativity bias. And so you start to then look on a subconscious level, you know, um, how is this affecting my life? And then you have this woe is me type of kind of feeling. And so I don't necessarily believe that we are 100% sad about the loss of our parents or the loss of a loved one. I do believe that it triggers um, other internal emotions that we have not, uh, that we have, that we've suppressed um, around our life, around our direction. Um, Cause I remember you know, my, when my father died, it just brought up all these things of me feeling abandoned by him, uh, me feeling not loved by him. And I actually had this false belief, like you, you abandoned me, you left us. <laughs> like crazy, crazy, like, you know, 
What's that? Like, how could you go? Like, how, why did you do this? Yeah, time? yeah. And then, then I was blaming, right? Because a lot of, you know, especially when we're young, we have this kind of, well, a lot of people have what is called victim consciousness. And so everything is about you and everything is about blame. And so we're looking outwardly for something to make us feel good inside because we don't feel good inside. And we're looking, so we're looking for something or someone to make us feel good inside. And then when we lose, it just opens up that wound again. And so death, I do believe kind of like strikes that thorn um, that's stuck in our side about not feeling good and not being enough. Yes. Yes. And I was thinking also just the concept of death and its variation across cultures on how it's perceived, such as some cultures I notice, like in, in more uh, religions and places that honor life after death and the journey of the soul and reincarnation, they celebrate it as like a, with white and a, almost this wedding vibe of of let's be cheerful and joyful and the passing on is the beginning of something new. And then yep. in other cultures, death can be this or with other individuals or groups of people can be a, uh, something that is scary or, or dreaded or, you know, not as beautiful as birth, for example. And I know my perspective has shifted because I was never one to like love death and darkness and skulls and, you know, honor that as much as I honored birth and life and beginnings and green plants and flowers. And so this mm -hmm. whole process has been teaching me the actual beauty in loss and death and ending and not only through acceptance, but also through what can emerge after the loss or the death. And the, the new forms that, for example, the spirit of my dad is taking on or new energies that are coming forth and things happening in life that I believe are occurring because of his transition. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, I know my explanation, I didn't, I didn't tie it in. Um, my theory about um, how it opens up and, um, about rejection and separation and stuff like that is because during the grieving process, if you, if you know the cycle, um, the second one is anger, right? First is denial. The second one is anger. So why would you, why would someone be angry at someone's death? And so when I kind of just did research and this is like, you know, my conclusion, not my conclusion, just still a, like a theory. Um, but when I did research around it, it's like, and then even my own, um, personal experience when my dad died, like I, I became angry, like, and why is that? But it's really about stuff that I had suppressed emotions because we're not, we're not taught to, to share our emotions. We, you know, there's shame in sharing your emotions or crying or stuff like that. So there's this weakness around, especially around men, um, this false belief of, um, us, you know, being, open and sharing about those things. And so when death comes, you don't really talk about it. And you're, I don't know about now, but you know, back then it was like, it was not, it was not cool to kind of cry and, and really share. And so the, the anger part was not really about my dad. It was more about what was going on in my life. And then when you have victim consciousness, um, 
you're really kind of blaming the world and you're also thinking that everyone's out to get you, including the world. And so when you lose someone, it's like, man, this shit's not going my way. You know, my, my, my dad just died, you know, so the world was me. And so I believe like the denial and the anger is not really directed at the actual person that you've lost is really kind of directed at the universe and like um, just life in general. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking when we have the perspective of this knowledge beforehand, we can almost expect like, okay, I might feel angry. I might feel sad. I might feel all these things and almost allow yourself to be feeling it without trying to, you know, cheer up and just make yourself feel happy and how that we can sit with it and be in it, but it, we don't have to be trapped in it because we're aware that it is a natural process. Yeah. I mean, you know, Western civilization, we're just all about, you know, we, we, we don't tap into these wisdom traditions and stuff. And so if you look at Buddhism, Buddhism, they do, they have death awareness practice. And so it's part of, you know, the Buddhist belief, you know, and so they talk about it. And so I do believe that that prepares people for it. Um, So when it happens, I don't believe that they have the same grief cycle that we experience because, because of the denial and because of um, the shame that we, we have around it to a certain extent. Um, um, because we don't practice it, right? So if you don't practice something, you can't cultivate the the, the tools um, necessary to be able to handle it, right? Um, there's a bit of arrogance, I do believe, that we have here in a Western, Western civilization um, because there's a lot of people that certainly believe that uh, they're never going to die, right? And so when it happens, it's like, oh, it's complete shock and it throws everybody else off. And we, you know, you can see that by the way, the lifestyle that we live, you know, we're obese, we're on drugs, we're medicated. um, And uh, that's just not healthy living, right? And so if you really, I believe if we did certain like death awareness practices and stuff like that, it would impact the way that we actually live um, and we wouldn't be in denial, so. Yeah, that is such a great point and almost full circle back to what you said of death being this wake up call. And if like we're aware of it beforehand, then we can start living more fully. And yeah, that idea that death somehow has a negative connotation and is a bad thing or a scary thing or thing to be feared because it's, it's the way that part of our culture is here, I think in yeah. the U S and maybe it's just Western in general, perhaps. Um, I know in the yoga tradition, there are certain uh, almost there are things that you almost like vices that you don't want to partake in. And one of those is fear of death. I think it's like Abhinavsa or some, I forgot the Sanskrit, but it's, this idea that we're not supposed to fear death. And if you do, there's an imbalance in the system, like in the mind and the body and the emotional center. And if we could have like those awareness practices or an understanding, I think this also goes to the understanding of the spirit realm, which, 
you know, how about 90% of our world is metaphysical. It's invisible. It's unseen. And only a small percent is, is like what we perceive of whatever lens you want to look at that through. And so if we can begin to understand more of the soul journey and the spiritual realm, that would also give light into what, what's the point of death and what is the whole cycle, not just the slice of, oh, you know, I'm alive and I'm facing death now and what should I do about it? Well, you know, I think everything is, is lessons um, and there's lessons that, that are taught before us that we're supposed to learn from and then there's our own direct lessons that we, that we learn. Um, and so death, like in, in Buddha, they say that there's, if there's no death, there's no life. Mm-hmm. There's no death, there's no transformation. If there's no death, there's no change. Um, so I do believe that death is like the ultimate equalizer, but it's also, I do believe, it's intentional and it's a wake-up call for for the living, you know? Yeah. Um, say, hey, you know, this is uh, <laughs> this is inevitable. Um, you know, here's a, do, do a personal check-in and say, <laughs> how am I living? Am I living right? On, on all levels, all fronts, on my health, on my, you know, my personal um, purpose, you know, all of that stuff. Like, it's just a mental check-in, I do believe, if, if you approach it the right way, right? Um, but it's still, you know, there's, there's, you know, the other thing, the reason why it hurts is that, you know, out of our universal needs and our, our seven um, human essential needs, connection, the, the need to belong, uh, the need to connect is non-negotiable, is innate, right? And so if we lose someone that is, you know, a love of ours, like like we really truly have a connection and a, and a good relationship, then that that is um, double, a double-edged sword because, you know, that's, a, that those are, those are, moments that make you happy people that make you happy right and then they're no longer in your life um which i do believe like when you're if you're not aware of the seven essential needs and you're not aware that how connection and the quality of connection is is uh, has a direct correlation to the the longevity of your life to be honest with you um then you just feel um this void in your heart Right. Especially if you're not living your purpose, if there's other voids that are already in your heart, it just makes that void even bigger um, and that pain even 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 larger. So, yes. Yeah. What you said reminded me, too, of this idea of accepting and being present in whatever the moment brings, whether it's the utmost joy or the utmost kind of misery and just letting it go. And every moment is just what it is. And it's when we cling to those past experiences that we almost get attached to it. So if it's gone, we then feel a lack. Whereas if yeah. we're just in the moment all the time, we're not going to feel unwhole or missing if something's gone because we are connected with what is, not what was. Yeah. Maybe that's the idea too of moving forward from the past and hanging on to what was rather than being here and now. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously that's a global problem, right? Most of us ruminate in the past, right? Especially if we're hurt uh, and we haven't dealt with our trauma. So um, we're always on lookout for things 
we're, we're kind of surviving and in, in kind of doing avoidance training to a certain extent. So something that hurts us, which is usually around relationships, right? Um, someone hurt us or uh, a loved one or a friend or something like that. Um, what do we tend to do? We tend to isolate, right? And then we tend to ruminate on like that hurt. I don't want to repeat that again. And so I'm going to avoid anything that reminds me of that, which usually leads to isolation or something like that. So we're not really being intentional. We're not forward facing. We're not um, creating. And so we're not manifesting when you're ruminating and looking backwards. And so if we're intentional and we're always forward thinking and and forward facing in terms of our intentions, um, because as you say, where energy goes, energy flows, um, then uh, if we're always pointed up, um, there's this, um, what they call when, when I mentioned earlier, victim consciousness, there's what they call the dreaded, uh, drama triangle. That's where most of us live, right? We, we, we slide in and out of these uh, representatives, whether it's the victim, whether it's the persecutor, or whether it's the um, rescuer. Um, we tend to wear one of those hats. Um, and, and that's always just reminiscing and, and ruminating in, in the past. But the alternative to that is the, um, is the TED um, which is uh, acronym for um, the empowered uh, dynamic. And so the empowered dynamics and the inverted triangle that is always about manifesting and creating um, what you want in life, not avoiding what you don't want in life, because those, those are two different energies. So if you go around um, concentrating and putting energy into what you don't want, guess what? You know, you're not focused on what you do want. Right. Um, so I think the death, um, you know, when, when, when people are, are avoiding, cause at the end of the day, what are we truly avoiding? We're trying to avoid pain. Right. Um, so when death happens, I, you know, it, it brings in the forefront, our mortality. And then it's kind of like a mirror about, especially if you're ruminating about what's not happening or what's not going right for you in your, in, in your life. It's just, you know, continues to spiral downward in that, that energy. Yes. And yeah, what you said about the past, like the past ruminating in the past rather than creating, you know, moving forward and in the present, I thought Mm -hmm. about how oftentimes we'll repeat these cycles that we're not aware of. And it's probably because we're holding on to we're creating from a place that we've been before. And therefore we get in these cyclical patterns, you know, like a certain relationship dynamic or certain choices we make over and over again. And so to really identify like, what are we attached to still? And then uh, almost release self from that. And Eric, you helped me so much because I remember I felt just in this storm of emotions after and I was like, my life sucks. I don't know where I'm going. I do this, I do that. And, and you, I remember you sensed that I was kind of, or I was saying like, I'm going toward everything that I want, but you said something so powerful. You were like, turn around and look at what's behind you. Like, what are you avoiding? What are you running from? So I started to deal with all of those things. And that was the key to helping to start make things work again. Yeah. Cause I was so focused on moving forward and manifesting and all of this, but 
I wasn't facing what I was avoiding. And that very thing was like almost those chains that are weighing you down or the extra weight you're carrying that you don't even see you're carrying as you're trying to like keep moving forward. It reminded me of sports when you have the rubber band around your uh, waist and someone's like holding you. Yeah, that's what I felt like. And so when you said that, it was like this freedom aha moment. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I learned it the hard way, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, really kind of just re, re, reverse engineering what I went through in terms of, uh, and then objectively looking at every single aspect of that. And, and then also obviously doing the research and, and it's, we, you know, the majority of people are surviving, they're surviving their unresolved and unidentified trauma. Um, usually around some sort of relationship. And so you start to develop all of these false narratives, um, you know, but at the same time, what's non-negotiable is our connection, right? So then, you know, we're still reaching out, but 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 now we're wounded. Um, and vulnerability is like the fork in the road, right? We're wounded, but we're, we're, we're taught that being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. And being vulnerable, um, which the the... I think the primary word is, is for Latin means wound anyway, right? So we're already wounded. Um, but it's, it's the mindset of I'm wounded and let me protect myself so that I don't get wounded again um, versus the courage of saying I'm wounded. This is who I am. I know that you're probably wounded as well. Um, and so if you don't like me for who I am, then I'm just going to find someone else that will like me for who I am. Like being, having that, and it really comes down to worthiness. Like when we feel worthy and we're really able to kind of step into our truth and step into vulnerability and all this other stuff. But when we don't feel, uh, when we feel unworthy, then we're, we're just avoiding and we're surviving. Yes. Yeah. I know there's this, uh, I don't know, you know how you see on social media, certain trends that start taking place. And I've noticed there's a lot of this talk of like, um, you're not wounded. There's no such thing as being on uh, being wounded. And I was thinking like of this idea, we all have wounds, things that have hurt us before that, that are healing or in the process of healing. And of course you don't want to sit in the wound space and just be there and not come out. But also on the flip side, I don't think you want to avoid saying like, oh, there's nothing to look at because it's just that deeper and deeper inquiry. And I was thinking how, no matter how, you know, high magic you're practicing or spiritual, whatever it is, is like, if you're still carrying trauma within, that's going to be within all the work that you do. It's like a film or an energy that is present always if you don't like face and deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, our, our biggest enemy, and you hear, you know, you've heard this term, our biggest enemy is, is the enemy within. Mm-hmm. All the time. Um, but the, the trauma um, fractionates us and turns us inside out. So we're, we're outwardly facing and we're looking for, like I said earlier, we're looking for things that make us feel better um, on the external side. So it's either, which is the reason why we're consumers, right? Um, because we get those little burst of happiness feelings when we when we buy something that we feel we need because of the lack that we have inside um and it's the reason why if someone makes us feel happy we want to be around them but we we 
are not vulnerable enough. And so we are not authentic when we're around them. So you have two, typically you have two people that are trying to come together, each of them looking for the other one to make them happy, make them feel good inside, but neither one of them really being authentic because the lack of vulnerability. And so eventually what's going to happen, someone's going to hurt someone and probably not intentionally, but it's going to be perceived as, you know, you did this, you did me wrong because of the, the victim consciousness. Um, and it almost creates a sense of neediness rather than just the ability to be without any veils or like filters. Yeah, it becomes, it, you know, it goes back to, again, our need of connection. And so we, we have to, uh, we do everything to be accepted for fear of rejection. So uh, our biggest fear is the fear of being seen. So then we come into these different personas um, and not really able to be seen for who we are because we fear that if someone sees us for who we really are, um, they're not going to love us because it goes back again to that uh, separation, um, realization of separation when the, the child is young um, because they say if, if the caregiver, or my mommy or daddy left me, or neglected me, there must be something wrong with me. And so they're not able to, and this is on a really, really deep, deep subconscious level. Most people aren't even aware of this, right? Um, So they walk into these relationships um, needing to connect, but but they're doing everything, um, you know, including giving up their their self-value to stay connected. so, but it's not really them, right? It's just the representatives. People are dating their representatives. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, one thing we can do is talk about ways, like I know, Eric, you always have your takeaway moments um, or your takeaway points. I guess, is there anything else you want to say about that? Or should we go into the takeaways? Yeah. I mean, for me, like, you know, death, death really kind of sent me like, I, cause, because I never processed death. Um, and it hit me over the head really, really at a, at a young age of 20. Um, the other time that it really, really affected me was um, like around 2010 where I lost seven people in, in one year, including one of my artists, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends actually, um, and then the following years, when you really, when I made a change in my life, because, you know, I, um, you're talking about holding back. I was, I never realized that I was running away and surviving and avoiding. Um, and then I remember those two things that were pivotal. I remember Steve Jobs had passed away and his, um, his deathbed um, script that, that uh, someone took down um, I heard that and I was like, whoa, you know, because he was kind of the epitome of success. Um, And then I remember having dinner with um, Paul Allen, but not, you know, I was at a dinner event. I was at the table with Paul Allen and I was spending time with Paul Allen. And I remember this multi-billionaire, I remember just having the sense because I've always been an observer and I was like, there was just pain and sadness in this guy's eyes. And I was like, so, but at that point in time, I was just so into just 
building and accomplishing and, you know, make more money and all this other stuff. Um, and so, you know, those two things, I was like, well, you know, this guy's got all the money in the world, um, but he doesn't seem happy. And then the Steve Jobs, which I'm going to read a little bit of um, his deathbed uh, story was like, he said, um, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world and others eyes. My life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy in the end. Wealth is just only a fact of life that I've become accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and the wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. He goes on, uh, it's long, but I'm not gonna read the whole thing. He goes on to say that nonstop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. He said, God gave us the senses to let us feel the love in everyone's heart, not the illusion brought, up, brought about by wealth. The wealth I have, uh, one in my life, I cannot bring with me. What I can bring is only the memories pre uh, precipitated by love. That's the true riches, which will follow you, accompany you, giving you the strength and life to go on. So, you know, again, like I say, if there's no death, there's no life. If there's no death, there's no transition. There's no change. And so I, I do believe that death um, brings mortality into the forefront for us to be a wake up call to make sure that we are um, on track and we're doing right and living right and loving right. And it always comes down to love, right? So. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Eric. And you reminded me of the idea of time. I think death and time go together, right? Because oh, sure. time is not something that is really a factor in the spirit realm because it's timeless. But here on earth, things begin, they have a lifespan, they die. And so we have an increment and it can, we can think of it as a long time or a short time that we're in these bodies. And it's like, well, it comes back to purpose. Why are we here now in this form? And what are we doing to live the why, I think? So really yeah. back to purpose. Yeah, yeah our, our personal why and digging deep into what is that is beyond for many, this idea that we're given, that we've inherited. Like, oh yeah, you've come here to, you know, to do that traditional plan we always talk about, but to go deeper and be like, well, I'm living and we'll, like, what is fulfilling me? Or I guess also following your path of bliss and joy mm -hmm. as your guide. And also I was thinking how certain uh, spiritual paths that many are called to are this idea of undergoing small deaths throughout life. So making sacrifice, putting yourself through the fire to then be purified and come out anew in a certain form. But all these deaths involve a sacrifice, giving something up and then having that freedom to reemerge into something new. So this idea of philosophical death and death of certain aspects of self that yeah. then continual the, continue the alchemical process of purification. And I guess purification being the idea of, or the, the process of allowing all that, which is not you, to strip away kind of the whole idea of polishing and yoga and 
and just purifying an alchemy. And so that what you're left with is your essence and is when yeah. essence can shine forth. That is your life force. That, that is your radiance that travels through many forms. Uh, but it's like, let's do it now. Right. Or at least I feel many of us are called to live our best life, whatever that means now. And so to do that is, is how, what we talk about all of the techniques and, and the perspectives and ways to just shine your light and be who you are. Remember why you're here. And yeah, the, so I guess one of our biggest takeaways is death opens the door for life. Oh, which Eric, I wanted to share that I've received this message and maybe I'm not even going to remember it now, but it was something like death is a portal or a bridge for unity. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And it's almost like death opens up this door for people to come together. So it can be a very powerful time of connections. That is, yeah. 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 So that is, all, is a reminder of connection, yeah. Yeah, so during this time, I feel where we feel divided in certain ways and we feel like we're mourning and grieving and losing so much it's this beautiful space to connect with our family, with ourselves, with our loved ones, with our neighbors, with the world, you know, our communities. Mm-hmm. And we can almost look at it for what it is and also see what can emerge and what emerges through the death portal is unity and life and love. Yeah. Well, think, think about it. you you can have, you know, your biggest enemy, right? Or you can just be in a fight with your best friend. And if one of you guys loses a parent or, you know, just has a death within your family, that is just like uh, neutral ground for like, okay, truce, you know what I mean? Um, I'm going to send you, you know, prayers and condolences. And so if you think about death, like it's the time where everyone is vulnerable and drops their guard um, and shows love, right? They show empathy, they show compassion, they show love, regardless of what you may be personally going through, right? Because um, I've seen it like, you know, oh my God, I'm in a fight with this person, but I just found out she just lost her her, her mother. You know, I'm gonna send, send a note to her, you know what I mean? It's like, you just forget all of the bullshit. And yeah. so it allows, um, death is is an opportunity for love to pu- to pour out of everybody because that's the one time that everyone feels safe enough and it really comes down to our psychological safety everyone feels safe enough to be vulnerable enough to care and show compassion in that moment of death yes eric i love that and it's like death is something we all go through it's a universal thing so- yeah there's no, oh, this only happens to this person or this only happens to that. There's no division with death. It's just a moment where we can all come together because it's part of all of us. Yeah. And all the petty stuff, like you mentioned, or a lot of it can melt away. Yep. Because there's no shame. There's no shame around it. Yes. You know, there's empathy. Uh, and compassion. And that's what's missing for most in communication is, you know, even with people that say love, right? Human love lacks compassion. And so the human love is is a weaker version of spiritual love. 
Uh, it's a very weak version because with human love, it can change. It can, it can, you know, be removed and all this other stuff because it lacks compassion. And I think what death does, it, it taps back into what people have is we all have our natural intelligence. We have this natural pure love that we were born as, but what we ended up learning is we learned how to fear. Right. Uh, and then the more that we move away from our, our natural intelligence in that purity of love, um, the harder it is for us to show compassion. And so when death comes about, um, we're able to tap into that part of us um, that resides in us that we've kind of buried over, you know? Yes. It opens our hearts. It's true. Yeah, it does. Yep. May we all opens up the heart and opens up the cracks of because you know obviously you're in the energy so we have the the life the light force of the source energy that is around us and within us right um yeah. yeah it opens up that part for that to connect yes it reminds me of the Rumi quote the wound is the place where the light enters yeah it's true yeah and we are able to beam it so. It's our intentions for death to open up a portal for unity and for death to be observed from many perspectives and really understood for what it is Mm -hmm. and for it to open up a spark of inspiration to live more fully and alive and present to become the people that we know that we're meant to be. Yes. Yes. Fulfilling our life purpose. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh I feel we unraveled a lot in our conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Cowfish show. We are bringing you episodes based on our inspiration. So stay tuned for the next one. And Eric, if you have any other closing thoughts, feel free to share. I just want to share how you're glowing. You just look really amazing. Oh, thanks, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) You normally don't expect to hear that after death, right? (laughs) No, but yeah, I mean, you're obviously you're doing way better than I was. I was on a completely destructive path. Um, you know, I was young and I was in college and I was just like, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully just our chat can open some perspective and light for maybe people going through this that do feel that way or like stuck of, I don't know how to talk about this. I don't know how to process. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think death happens for people at different times. So like people could come into the world and their parent has already died or, they're a teen when the parent dies or they're 50 when the parent dies. And so whenever it strikes us, like you said, just being ready and uh, accepting and knowing of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Always great to see you and always great to chat. Yes. You too, Eric. Until next time. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Cowfish Show. Check back for future episodes on raising consciousness, creating happiness, fulfillment, and love. 
And remember to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at The Cowfish Show.